0: We all know that awkwardness of receiving a wrapped gift by someone who eagerly waits for us to open it in their presence. I say awkward because what if we don't share the same enthusiasm as the giver? If not, we either pretend we like it or convey gratitude with limited sincerity. While there may be less risk and relational damage if the giver is not present when we open the gift, The experience is not nearly as memorable or enjoyable. When we receive a wrapped gift, we think of it as something given to us and for us. Once opened, we experience an immediate response. We like it or not. We consider it to be of value or not. We deem it useful or question what it is. But imagine receiving a gift that opens us. A gift given to us, but not explicitly for us. A gift that is meant for our use to serve a purpose greater than ourselves. This is the kind of gift God gave humanity at the outset of creation by making us stewards of the earth. It was given for us to both benefit from its resources and to care for its overall vibrancy and health. The earth was given for our use, but not for us to possess or use up. It is a gift which opens us to enjoy, explore, imagine, all while accepting responsibility for its care. This is how the Apostle Paul spoke of spiritual gifts given to the church in his first letter to the Corinthians. 1st century Corinth was a newly formed faith community divided over leadership. Some favored select leaders over others, and this same valuation was applied to members who exercised certain spiritual gifts. This community valued the ecstatic gift of speaking in tongues above all others, and as a result elevated those members who exercise this gift as superior to members with lesser gifts. Paul addresses their misunderstanding and abuse of spiritual gift in chapters 12, 13, and 14. He reminds them that all who follow Jesus are members of one and the same body of Christ, and that each member is equally valuable. In the same way, he informs them that spiritual gifts are given and distributed throughout the community by the one and same Holy Spirit. Therefore, each and every gift matters and all are of value to the whole. Listen for this dual emphasis of of valuing each and every member and each and every gift as Eileen Haynes reads for us from chapter 12 of Paul's first letter to the Corinthians.
1: Our scripture reading is from 1 Corinthians, chapter 12, verses one, four through 12 and 27. Now, about the gifts of the spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. There are different kinds of gifts All of these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one, just as He determines. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. The Word of the Lord.
0: Thus far in our sermon series, Kent has spoken of the church as a community created by God's spirit. Drawing together people of diverse backgrounds and of different genders, ethnic origin, economic status, racial identity and religious commitment and political viewpoints, all are brought together through a shared belief in Jesus as the world's savior and Lord. Last week, Emily related how this newly formed community shares life together in fellowship, partnership, and mutual love and care for one another. Today, I want to emphasize the nature of the church as the body of Christ and how the spirit distributes spiritual gifts to every one of us for the body's growth toward maturity and function for accomplishing God's purpose in the world. First, let's consider what it means to see church as Christ's body and ourselves as its members. We must not overlook the significant language and its implied meaning. Few people think of today's church as a living organism, but rather think of it as an edifice, a structure, or an institution. The American church has lost touch with the organic nature of its identity in Christ. As a result, we place more emphasis on the building, the budget, the size of the congregation, the popularity of the church's leaders, and its name recognition. Membership and recruitment feels more like that of joining a club. And we emphasize worship that is inspirational and entertaining, programs that meet the life experience needs of its constituents and other services of the church that are relevant and convenient. In this way, we condition people to be consumers and congregations to succumb to competitive features to win and, and sustain their customer base. Compare this to Paul's view using the metaphor of Christ's body rather than the institutional nature of the church. The church is not an entity separate from its members. Member in this sense relates to its original meaning of limb or organ. If we fail to value each and every member, we lose something important in our understanding of Christian community. Paul reiterates that every one of us is important to the body and has something to contribute. If the whole body were just an eye, then where would be its hearing? If we were only one part, where would the body be? Thus, he says, there are many parts, but one body. Paul insists that every single member of the body is just as indispensable as any other. So he says to the Corinthians, never let one part say to another, I don't need you. There should be no division in the body. All parts should have equal concern for one another. Every part matters. If there was to be a pledge similar to the one we make to the American flag, then one of its lines would say something like this, One body of Christ, indispensable with gifting and serving by all. The second focus of Paul in this chapter concerns spiritual gifts and their use. The Corinthians had a concentrated enthusiasm for the gift of speaking in tongues, as evidence of God's power and spiritual favor. Paul seeks to correct this misunderstanding by emphasizing that there are a variety of gifts given by the Spirit. And their distinct purpose that all gifts are given to the whole community for the purpose of building up the body of Christ. The fact that the Corinthians thought that the gift somehow benefits the single individual alone reminds me of this story told by a newspaper man. I had been a sports editor of the local paper for a few weeks when my wife and I went to the movies in downtown Port Chester, New York. The house lights were still on as we walked down the aisle and 13 or 14 people were scattered throughout the theater. They all turned toward us and began to applaud. I was stunned. Even though my daily sports column included a photo of me, I had no idea I had become so popular in such a short time. When the movie was over, one of the patrons came over and vigorously shook my hand. I said, I'm very flattered that all you people recognize me. I'm amazed and honored. Puzzled, the man replied, I don't know about that. All I know is that a few seconds before you and your wife walked in, they announced that unless there were at least 15 customers in the theater, they wouldn't show the movie. Between Paul's discussion of spiritual gifts in chapters 12 and 14, he offers a lyrical description of love as the motivation for exercising a gift. This governing principle of love is central to our worship, our experience of community, and the role the Holy Spirit plays in the formation of our life in Christ. As Emily pointed out last week, love for one another is indispensable for who we are as a community of followers of Christ. Without love, spiritual gifts are worthless. Paul illustrates this with a math equation. Take any spiritual gift. Since you value tongues, you Corinthians value tongues, we'll start there even if I happen to be one of the exceptional individuals whom the Spirit of God has gifted with this inspired language, if it is not accompanied by love, then its value is nothing more than meaningless sound. Take the gift of prophecy to the nth degree so that you understand all mysteries and possess all knowledge. But if there's no love, what have you gained? It's like multiplying any number by zero. No matter what you start with, with, if there's no love to go with it, you've got nothing. The benefit to the community and to you personally is zilch. If you want to see its manifestations, don't be gaga about certain gifts, but look to see if love is being demonstrated in your midst. Look to see characteristics of Jesus in one another then you will know God's Spirit is working among you. The Spirit will not elevate one of you over another. The Spirit always elevates Jesus. If you do not know about spiritual gifts or have never identified what gift or gifts the Spirit may have given you or seek to use or how to use them, then I invite you to sign up for our Spiritual Gifts Workshop, hosted by Ali Shoulders and myself, on either one of two occasions, Saturday, May 8th at 9 a.m. or Monday, May 10th at 7 p.m. Details of this event and how to sign up will be published in the coming week. Some gifts require development before they can be used wisely and effectively. Take, for example, the spiritual gifts of mercy, compassion, and helps. These are the kind of gifts we look for when recruiting people to serve as deacons or Stephen ministers. Along with these spiritual gifts, Stephen ministers also receive 50 hours of training and learning skills of listening and caregiving. But the gift to engage in such ministry is that which is anointed by the Holy Spirit. In this chapter, Paul mentions nine spiritual gifts. Elsewhere, in Ephesians 4, Romans 12, and 1 Peter 4, 13 more gifts are mentioned. Apparently, this list is not meant to be exhaustive, but the common denominator in all these passages is the theme of the body of Christ. The Corinthians needed to be reminded that the Spirit had a variety of ways of honoring Jesus besides the seemingly spectacular way of speaking through ecstatic utterance. Paul wanted the Corinthians not to focus on the display of spiritual power, but on the demonstration of the truth of of Christ's gospel through Spirit-led worship and loving actions. We celebrate Christ through the use of diverse gifts, which promotes our unity of faith. I have never heard a parent speak of the birth of a newborn as something they made or they possess. Instead, with a sense of awe, wonder, and gratitude, they speak of receiving their child as a gift. In doing so, it opens them to a new role of becoming a caregiver, provider, and nurturer, until their child becomes a mature adult. Parents act as stewards of their child's personal growth and development and assume responsibility to serve their child's ultimate good. So it is with the gifts given by the Holy Spirit. We neither possess them as our own nor use them for our own personal advantage but understand them as being given for the benefit of the church as a whole. The gift opens us to be dependent on God's Spirit and to be responsible for honoring Jesus in word and in deed. May it be so. Amen.